Hello everyone, welcome to episode number six of the Actor Cast. Today we are talking to a good friend of mine. His name is Gabe Rodriguez, and he is a writer and director. We have a great episode coming up for you. But before we begin, please head over to actorcast.fm to sign up for our newsletter. Our newsletter goes out every week, and it gives you information on the week's guests, as well as all the latest and greatest going-ons with ActorCast. And if you are also interested in getting exclusive content, you can sign up to become an ActorCast Premium member. If you are interested in doing this, just head over to our website at ActorCast.fm and go to our membership page. So... Gabe Rodriguez, as I mentioned, he is a director and a writer. He has created so many films. It's actually very incredible. He is the founder of Fallen Hero Productions, and his films include Fighting Nirvana, Susie in the Afterlife, Q to the Six Train, Havana and Bushwick, and Goddess of Time, all of which are available on Amazon Video. His film, Susie in the Afterlife, won the Spirit Award at the Queen's World Film Festival, and he has premiered many of his films in a wide variety of different festivals. His current project, The Sisters Cardos, is currently in post-production, and in this episode, we talk about this project. We talk about what it was like filming this during the era of covid And we also talk about Gabe's process as a writer, as a director, and everything that's involved with that. He is truly an inspiring filmmaker. He is somebody who gets it done, who puts the pedal to the metal and really keeps his head down and gets the important work done. He tells the stories that he wants to tell in the world. So I think you will all be very inspired by this episode. If you are interested in being part of our showcase segment of ActorCast, just send us an email at your friends at actorcast.fm and feel free to share a project that you're working on. We would love to hear about it. So, enough of all of that. Let's get to today's episode of ActorCast with Gabe Rodriguez. Welcome back to the Actor Cast. Today we have my good friend Gabe Rodriguez joining us. He is a writer and director with a wide variety of different credits to his name. Many of his films have been in a variety of different film festivals. He's in post production for his film, The Sisters Cardos, and he has been generous enough to give us his time today to talk about his work, and also to talk about his process as a writer and director. So, Gabe, thanks so much for joining us on the ActorCast today. 
Absolutely, Patrick. Uh, great to be here. Great to uh, be seeing you over Zoom. Yes, yes. We, we are, were just uh, mentioning before we started recording that uh, you and I, we had, I guess last time we met was pretty much right before the, the world shut down from COVID. We uh, got together to do a reading of, of one of your films. And yeah, I remember at that time, every, every, there were so many people in this small room and everyone was talking about like, oh yeah, we need to like hand sanitize and everything. And, and it's, it's just amazing to think like, you know, how much the world has changed in a lot of ways since then. Yeah, no, um, I, I had been planning that reading. Um, so, so just pretty much every time I write a script, I like to do a reading, no matter what happens with it, just as a way to, for me as, as a writer, to hear it and maybe have some closure on that first draft. So this was a reading I'd been planning, I think since uh, December of 2019, and it finally happened in March of 2020. Yeah, it, it ended up being like, I, I believe March 10th or so, so it, it, it was literally that week. And even like the day before or two days before talking to someone, they're like, oh, you, you heard about this COVID thing, like, oh, people overreacting. And then, you know, like less than a week after that reading, uh, everything was shut down. And unfortunately that, that uh, place, Shetler Studios, has since gone out of business. So yeah, it, if that reading had been a few days later, it likely would have been canceled. So it, it makes you reflect on how much things have changed and you know, how cavalier our attitudes were. But it, I'm grateful that got to be the last event we did before lockdown. Right, right. Yeah, and, and it, was, it was great being a part of that project too, because having seen some of your films that are on your website, it was, it was really great having the opportunity to, to see your work you know, and I'm sure as a writer and director as well, it's a, it's amazing when you hear your work read aloud and it's, it kind of comes off the page for the first times in a lot of ways. And so I guess for our listeners who are tuning in who may not be familiar with you and your work, I'm wondering if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, maybe what led you into this world and, and what led you to pursue a career as a writer and director? Oh boy, uh, start at the beginning. Well, so I, I know like a, a lot of people will say like, oh, there, there was this one movie that inspired them that they saw at a young age. And I feel with me, it, it wasn't so much one film. I just watched a lot of cartoons as a kid and uh, had many, many imaginary adventures, uh, myself and Bugs Bunny and everyone else, you know, going on uh, trips, flying cars and stuff like that. And then at some point down the line, like around middle school or high school, these little imaginary um, adventures stopped like being these little stories with myself and Bugs Bunny. And they started becoming actual stories with actual characters and taking on a life of their own and being like, oh, the, these little movies I make in my head, I kind of want to really make them. And I say that to some extent, that's what I'm still doing. I'm still having imaginary adventures with imaginary friends. I'm just filming them and trying to make them entertaining to other people. Well, I, I really, you bring up a really good point because I feel very similar with being an actor is that there's this childlike quality that I think all of us as artists, we, we tap into that's, that I think is so crucial and so important because it allows us to kind of abandon our concepts of reality 
and really dive into this fantastical world, whether or not it, it takes place on, on Earth and kind of like modern day and what we're living in, or this world that to everyone else doesn't even exist. It's just something that exists in our head. And I think that is, is a big reason too why, why I'm so drawn to this world is that it really is this powerful way to activate our imaginations. And I think where it starts is, is with writing. And so I, I would love for you to chat about just what, what inspires you to write a story and what, what is your process as a writer look like? Uh, really, there's just, there's always ideas. There's always something that you hear about and you think, oh, like, it, it would be fun to play with that. I, I guess I'll give as an example the um, the script you and I met on, which was a slight retelling of The Little Mermaid. The way that came about was actually years and years ago, like 2013, I had been looking at writing gigs and someone wanted to adapt the work of Hans Christian Andersen for short films. And so I read that short story Little Mermaid, um, which I hadn't read in a long time, and it's a beautiful short story. And I really thought, oh yeah, it'd be nice to like readapt this. But you know, obviously, the Disney version is the iconic version of that story, and I, I feel any new take on it would be overshadowed by that. And also, you have all the Disney live-action remakes, so that whole idea kind of went on the back burner for a few years, and then cut to 2017. Just, I was talking with someone, the idea came up again, and then a few days after that, the idea went, well, wait a minute, what, what if I resurrected that idea, but I don't make it an adaptation of Little Mermaid, because that, that's always going to kind of be tied to Disney, but what if I made it its own thing, and it tied to my love of history, and it, she, uh, the mermaid comes to Earth, but she gets caught in the French Revolution, and then it's like, once that idea comes, all the ideas come, of, oh, she's going to meet this character, and that'll, they'll be like this, and she, this character. And what if there are other mermaids turned humans, and they become her friends, but they're a little different than her? And so that, that's an example of, like, what, once the brain starts thinking, there's a ton of ideas. And then it helps to start writing down notes. Sometimes uh, I'll write a whole treatment. Sometimes I'll start writing a little treatment. That's like, why am I writing this? Let me just write the script because this makes me want to write the script. <laughs> and I, I've had both extremes. I've had where I had the idea and I just jumped into the script and, you know, hounded it out. And I've had, oh, that's good, but let me put it to, on the back burner and then maybe write the treatment. And then the treatment's finished. And then years later, write the script. And um, for, for those listening in who might not be familiar with the terminology, what do you mean when you say treatment? Okay, so a treatment is basically um, a synopsis of the screenplay or movie. And actually, I, I would argue every writer probably uses the term treatment a little better. Like, in a more professional sense, you might want your treatment to be only one or two pages. So it's specifically something that you would use to sell the movie or show the movie to someone who, you know, doesn't have the time to read a 120 page script or however long it is to say, here, read something that's one or two pages and it tells you everything. Another writer uh, might write something a little more detailed um, that maybe is more like 10 or 15 pages that is, is more of a summary of, okay, and then this happens and then this happens. So, so that's more what, what I'm referring to is more the second definition, because 
that that's a good middle ground for me before writing the script itself. Yeah, and I, I think would you say in some ways uh, a lot of people will call this the flow state where when you start writing does it almost feel like (laughs) i mean maybe this is getting too big and philosophical but does it almost feel like an out-of-body experience where it's just like you're, you're almost in a trance when you're writing or do you find that it's i guess not so much that I mean, you definitely, like, when you're writing, you do lose sense of time. And it is something that, you know, you can spend hours and hours doing. And, you know, the end result of that is only a few pages or maybe one page. But that doesn't mean a a ton of work didn't go into that, into getting into the creative space. And sometimes, you know, I'm using the term writing, but that doesn't have to mean literally writing. Like, sometimes it is just having a brainstorming session I know it's a cliche, but it's true. You get your best ideas in the shower and that's because your body's moving so much. Um, So sometimes like having a a four and a half hour brainstorming session where, you know, at the end of that, I haven't written anything literally on paper, but the whole ending has come to me. And and then, then the act of physically writing, that actually takes less time than the idea churning part. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to think of it that way, and yeah, I think that that you're right in a lot of ways, and I think this is similar to a lot of artists where it's all about in a lot of ways the preparation before before doing the the actual action of it. So much so that once you're doing the action of it, it almost seems kind of flawless because you've put so much time and work and preparation before going into that stage. And would you say that it's a similar thing with regards to your directing process? Because it must be very interesting and, and fascinating and also exciting when you have a script that's that's written on the page and then you're now in the directing phase, you're working with crew, you're working with actors, you're working with all of this equipment and then really taking this script that was just on pieces of paper and then bringing it into reality. That must be fascinating. And, and what is your process when you, when you enter into that phase? Man, so writing and directing really are two entirely different skill sets. Um, so I understand why some people are good at one and not the other or prefer to only do one. I, I guess the process, and I feel like there is no one answer because every project is different and the external circumstances may be different. Um, you know, obviously, if you're working with a tiny crew, if you're working in a confined space, that's going to affect how you direct or how the scene comes together. But overall, like, I like to have a good relationship with actors. I, I try to have as close as a nine to five schedule as you can. And obviously, there's times where you just can't. Like, if if you're filming in a bar, that has to be an overnight shoot, or there's other circumstances where, you know, you can't. But if you can, I do recommend that to directors to try and have stability in the shooting schedule and make it, it not literally nine to five, but you know where everyone knows when they're starting and when they're stopping and it's reliable hours and you're not working everyone to death. You know, another cliche is directors like need to do a hundred takes or they're never satisfied. <laughs> it's so meticulous about it. And it, to me, it's like, no, it's, I believe if if the actor hasn't gotten it by take four or five, they're probably not going to. So, <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, yeah. everyone shows up prepared, which if you're professional, they will be professional as well. 
So everyone shows up ready to work and you know, you run the scene, you do a blocking rehearsal. Um, you probably rehearse it once or twice, depending on factors or how much time you have. And then you do a few takes and some actors, they got it right on take one. Some need a few to warm up and that's fine. But I find like by take four or five, like you usually you've got it. And, and usually if you do need more than that, it's, it's not the actor's fault. It's something more like, okay, that we need to get uh, that item right in frame or the camera needs to move that way. But um, yeah, it's like overall, you just, you try to have a, an overall positive mindset and treat people respectfully and they will in turn be the same way. And it's fun. It's fun to make movies. It's fun to play this game of make-believe. And I think if that's what you convey most of the crew is going to convey that as well. And they're like, yeah, this is fun. Yeah, I, I really resonated with a lot of what you were saying. I do believe that the director in a lot of ways sets the precedent for the the mood and the energy on set and how everyone else is feeling both about the process and then also about the project as well. And just from what you were saying before, there is absolutely so many different moving parts that come into play when you're uh, working as a director. And would you say, I guess those are the, the biggest differences between writing and directing is that writing, even though, yes, you might show your work to, to some friends or, or colleagues, mentors to get some feedback on it, would you say that the big, biggest difference is that, that writing is more solitary work, you're spending a lot of time on your own, whereas as a director, you're handling a lot of different people, a lot of different moving parts. Would you say that those are the biggest things, I guess, outside of like the actual technical elements of knowing how a camera works and then actually, you know, putting a story together? Yeah, you summed it up perfectly. Writing by its nature is solitary and directing by its nature is very communication and working with people and giving everyone a sense of, of what's going on. And Hopefully, you know, if, if the script is good and readable, it doesn't require too much of the latter where an actor will read the script and go, okay, I, I get it. And they know what to do. And e likewise, like even uh, working with a good cinematographer where they read the script and they go, okay, I visualize this. And as a director, you may guide them, but you know, it's, it, you allow them to do their job as well. And I think that's the mark of a, a great director, too, is being able to recognize that, yes, while in a lot of ways you're leading the charge, you have trust in those team members that you've brought on to do their jobs, as opposed to having sort of like a micromanagement mindset where uh, you're trying to control every little aspect of the production. Yeah, there's, um, this is a little spiel that um, I, I always kind of give on set for years, so I'll give it now, which is, I don't believe it's a director's job to try and teach actors how to act. I believe that a, an actor already knows how to act, specifically if they've auditioned for this part. And so I don't try to hold their hand or go too much into the process, it's more, how you choose to train for the big race, it's up to you. I just ask that on the day of the race, you're ready to run. Yes, yes, very well said, very well said, for all, especially for all of our actors tuning in, is to, to come on set ready and, and pre prepared to work. I'm really impressed by you, Gabe, with regards to 
how many films that you've created you've you have this website which i think is amazing that really allows uh films to be easily accessible and, and viewed by whoever whoever wants to view them and i think that a lot of times as artists i think we're all guilty of this is that we'll have an idea for a a certain project or, or something that we want to do but then the self-doubt comes in. Sometimes we think, oh, maybe it's not a good idea. I don't know if people will, will like it. But based on the, the volume of projects that you've created, you, you seem to have this tendency to break through any sort of doubts that you may have and get the work done. And so I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners, what, what is your process for for getting the work done when you know it's it's something that you want to bring out into the world. Ooh, you know it's it's changed. My answer to that question would probably be different uh, over the years because there was a time when I'd say like, oh, you know, write uh, very economically. So um, if, if you know you only have access to two locations, write a script set in only two locations. But then. There came a time when I said, no, screw that. I'm just going to write whatever I want. And I wrote a script that was not restricted at all. And then just said, okay, I have to figure out how to make this. And I did. And it was a better film than I had ever made before, probably because um, I, I got out of my comfort zone a bit. I, I actually would say to anyone listening, don't, don't go too crazy with this, but I would say don't overthink it. Yes, it's good to have a plan. It's good to be prepared. But it's also good to just be like, you know, I wrote this, let's make it. Because if you think about it too much, you're probably going to scare yourself. And <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's where the, the anxiety comes in. And, or, or it just, you get sidetracked and it, it doesn't get made, not through any negativity on your part, it just didn't happen. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing for our all this to keep in mind is I guess the old mantra that done is better than perfect. And that if we get into our minds and overthink, as as you were saying, it could be very easy to talk ourselves out of something. Whereas if we are just logical and, and we know that there's a story that we want to tell, it's important to, to just do it, no matter what the response may be once it's done. It, once you have something that is a completed project, you have something that you could call your own, no matter what other people might think about it. Yeah, and I guess that, that's true for any um, uh, obstacle out there. If you look at it all at one thing, it, it becomes so overwhelming. How can I do that? I can't. But if you look at it in increments, you say, okay, well, this is day one of filming. How could I get through day one? Well, I can do this, this, and then you've gotten to day one. And then how do I do day two? And then taking it that way, you get through it. I would love to, I've brought this up a few times with regards to, you know, your website that you have all these films available and that anyone who visits the website could, could go view them. And I would love to chat with you just about your philosophy behind this. I think that it's a really powerful way to make film accessible to a variety of different people. And it's, it's something that I think a lot of other filmmakers could benefit from doing for, for themselves as well. So I would, I would just love to, to chat with you about that and kind of your process for, for making your films accessible. Uh, sure. Um, when I 
finished college and I was making films, my um, production company was my ex-girlfriend's screen name at the time, which was uh, Honeydew 546 Productions, which was totally random. And, <laughs> and, and most people were like, oh, I like the Honeydew part. Why are there numbers there? And they're kind of random numbers. Um, so after, I guess up until like two, two and a half years ago, I was like, okay, I, I need to rebrand. That, that was when I came up with the name Fallen Hero. Uh, and I liked that idea of like, uh, I was rebuilding. I was someone who was picking myself back up. Uh, I'm a hero who's fallen. And it, it just, it had this more mythical stance. So I liked that name. And then in um, rebranding my website, which uh, was very like a cheap kind of self-produced website, uh, worked with a web developer and I, I really was trying to make Fallen Hero this brand of just, uh, this is the future of filmmaking. It's a movement. Because let's face it, the internet is the future. Streaming, for better or worse, I, I do think streaming is the, the future of this medium. And so finding a form of streaming other than your Netflix or your Hulu, here was uh, a website slash collection of YouTube's videos. But it, it was, the idea was we're making art available to the masses that uh, anybody should be a filmmaker, anybody should be able to show their films to the world, and whether or not your film is good is not dictated by the box office or by the, a Hollywood system, but uh, all art is valid, all art is readily available. Uh, so so I, I guess that was the mantra. And then, um, you know, over the last uh, two and a half years, that there have been so many new streaming platforms. I think other people had the same idea as me, so I don't know if it has the same novelty now that it did in, in 2018. But uh, th yeah, that, that was the mentality. And, and I do still stand by that, that I think all film is equally a work of art and should be seen by everyone. And everyone deserves the chance to be the celebrity, be uh, walk the Hollywood premiere. Yeah, that, I, that's very well said. I think that what, what's great about what you're saying is that the, the, the fact that all art is, is important and that, you know, you don't necessarily need, as you said, validation from Hollywood to create work that is worthy of, I guess, who you are and, and the, the people who put together the project. I think that that art is just a an expression for who we are and the stories that we want to tell, and all of it is is super valid. and And so, speaking of work, I would love to talk about your work, your most recent work. I know that you're, as I mentioned before, in in post production for your film, uh, The Sisters Cardos, and this was a, a film that you worked on during the the pandemic. And so, I would love for you to not only talk about what that process was like working and, and filming during during the pandemic, but also to tell us about this film and, and what, what the story is about. Absolutely. So the pandemic happened, lockdown started, and I guess this is now around May of 2020, where I was trying to be prolific as a writer. Um, but, you know, I, like many people, I just felt a disconnect. It, it's kind of hard to write some type of adventure story when I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't know what's going to happen a year from now. And it, it just felt like I need to write about now and what's going on. I, I know I was talking about Little Mermaid before, so it, it sounds like all I do is uh, retellings of old stories, which I do. I like kind of putting a new spin on things. But 
This idea kind of came as kind of a new spin on Little Women. And part of that was I grew up loving a lot of old movies. So I, I watched um, the old uh, 1940s version with Elizabeth Taylor, which is not even a great movie, but I had nostalgia for it. And then the recent Greta Gerwig version came out. And so it was on my mind. And so I kind of had this thought of, do I have something new to say about Little Women? Well, I don't have anything to say about the 1860s and that time period. I have a lot to say about what's going on right now in 2020. And that was the birth of uh, a story of uh, four sisters who are quarantined. Uh, their parents are quarantined in Italy at the peak of COVID. And so it becomes this story about lockdown and the, the sisters um, don't all share the same mother. So some are half sisters and a lot of family secrets come out. And so it's also a story about what, what was going on in 2020, specifically also um, the murder of George Floyd happened during this. And so that made me want to broaden the scope. One of the characters actually goes to DC at one point and uh, participates in the protests. And so it, it's a story about a family that the, the dysfunctions of the family parallel the societal ills of 2020. And it's about the American identity and about New York in that time. I love that a lot. And I'm sure in the film, there, there's, it sounds like there's a lot to unpack, which is, I think, very reflective of what 2020 was. And I, and do you, do you think that is why you created this film was that you wanted, you, you said that you had a lot to say about 2020. And I think what is shared among really everybody in the world uh, to a certain extent is that the, the pandemic of 2020, it really changed our, our way of life, at least for a, a temporary period of time. And so was it just kind of what the world was that inspired you to to write this film? Yeah, and I mean, there are many just tropes. Like, I mean, the, the idea of siblings who have to come of age and have to go out into the world and make their living and, and figure out who they are without their parents. Obviously, that, that's a very old storytelling trope, but through the lens of COVID, it becomes very different. And the, um, to be so surrounded by death in uh, every, everywhere they go, not, not only with family members, but you know, even people their own age, where the living situation becomes an unstable thing. Money is always a, a source of anxiety pre-COVID, but more so during the pandemic. It, it was a way of adding conflict to the story where, I know this sounds weird, like it could have been a story about anything, but setting it during COVID just adds this added element of anxiety and element of conflict where because there's so much going on in the outside world, it makes you feel what's going on within a family structure. Well, yeah, I, I love... I love how you put that too, because I think that outside of the the global impact that this pandemic has had, mm -hmm. I think that it's very interesting to dissect its impact on the micro level, to to dissect what its impact has been on our relationships to each other, to our our family members, to our friends. And it sounds like that that's something that you really investigated in, into this film. Thank you. I, I mean, it's more, again, kind of what I said before, I'm not thinking too much. This was going on and I tried to write about it. And, you know, w once the um, 
protests started happening and there was a lot of racial tensions going on, it, it just uh, made sense to say like, okay, this isn't just about the pandemic anymore. I have to broaden the scope. And I forgot to mention before, the, the Cardo's family is also interracial. So adding, adding that element of the family paralleling the country. Yeah, that, I, I just wanted to say something about everything. And hopefully it's, it's something that's about 2020, but also, you know, it's accessible to anyone and hopefully will we'll still be relevant 10 years from now. No, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Well, Gabe, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to join us on ActorCast. It was really great, not only hearing about your work as, as a writer, director, you, you know, your upcoming project, but also to, to get your perspective as well in, into this world and, and your perspective as well in this world that we're living in now with the, with the pandemic. I think that a lot of artists especially have been uh, and a lot of filmmakers too, especially have been affected by, you know, what, what this year has been. So it's, it's great having a, a writer and director like yourself on this show to, to talk with our listeners just about how, how important it is, despite the circumstances that are happening in the external world, how important it is to continue creating work. Thank you. No, it was a pleasure. And, and I, I guess just one last thing I wanted to say is, uh, Dana Glidden, who's uh, my longtime editor on Sisters Cardos, but he's been working with me since 2012, uh, he lost his younger brother to COVID only uh, a few days ago. Yeah, it's just a reminder that uh, this we're not out of this yet. We're still dealing with it. And even the production yeah. of the film itself is is still um, affected by COVID. Wow. So, yeah, it, it's an example. Art imitates life, imitates art. And ho hopefully um, we, we will see a brighter future. Yeah, well, I'm I'm really sorry to hear that, and you know, it's you're right. I think that all of us have been, you know, so sadly affected by you know the effects of this pandemic. And with all of that said, I I would love for you to just share with our listeners where they could find out more about you and your work. I think that you're telling some very powerful stories, some very relevant stories, and especially when the Sisters Cardos comes out and it's ready, I, I would love for our listeners to, to go and check it out. So where, where can those tuning in learn more about you and, and about all of your work? So lately I've actually been making the move more and more to Instagram um, since uh, I think that's becoming the more dominant social media platform. So uh, very easy to find on, on Instagram. It's uh, Fallen Hero Productions. And I, I try to post stuff daily, usually headshots of the actors. Actually, um, one of the child actors who appears in the film today is her ninth birthday. So earlier today, oh, wow. out to her. And it, it's actually a split screen photo of the child actress and then the character as an adult. And you see how similar they look. So uh, that's Instagram. On Facebook, Fallen Hero Productions. Also, I used to say, like, if you looked up Gabe Rodriguez on Facebook, you probably wouldn't find me because many people have my name. But actually, that's been changing lately. I guess I've gone up in the algorithm. Um, <laughs> but if you don't find me, go to Facebook and look up Havana and Bushwick or Goddess of Time, which are two of my early short films. And if you post anything on there, I'll definitely see it. So yeah, those are the best ways to find me. If you go to YouTube and just type in Fallen Hero, you'll find the channel. Type in Fallen Hero Havana and Bushwick, you'll find that film. 
Perfect. Sounds great. Well, I'll make sure to include all the, you know, the links to these various resources in our show notes. So for our listeners out there, all you have to do is scroll down in those show notes and you'll be able to find all those, those great links in there. So Gabe, thank you so much again for joining us on the ActorCast and best of luck with all of your new and upcoming projects. Thank you, Patrick. This was really a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of ActorCast. I really hope that you learned a lot from Gabe through his experience as a writer and a director. And for my fellow actors out there, definitely take what he said to heart with regards to creating your work, not overthinking, and putting it out there. If you are interested in being featured in our showcase segment on ActorCast, please send us an email at your friends at actorcast.fm and let us know what you're working on. Let us know a project that you're passionate about that you would love to share with the ActorCast community. We would love to hear from you. In addition, head over to actorcast.fm for information about joining our exclusive premium membership. All the information can be found at actorcast.fm on the membership page. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the ActorCast, and I look forward to catching you all in the next episode. And remember, go out and create.